Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. You can tell a lot about somebody when they are tired. It's amazing to me how, like, when you are at the brink of exhaustion, you really find out uh, what's on the inside of you, okay? So when we had our firstborn Ellis, um, I remember it very, very vividly. It was a defining moment of my life. And so uh, Ellis came kind of in the evening um, of September 19th. Yes, okay. It's September 19th of 2018. So the 18, 19, I always get a little mixed up. I told you, I remember it vividly. See, I remember everything. But he came at like seven o'clock at night and like my family's there and we're like, oh my gosh, he's so cute. He's so awesome. And then, you know, we're kind of coming down off the adrenaline. And so it's like 11 o'clock, 1130 at night and he goes to sleep and Meg goes to sleep. And I'm like, I just had a kid. This is awesome. And so I remember laying down on the very rigid and tough hospital couches that they try to make comfortable but are not. And I remember at 1.30, I heard stirring of my, first, of my son waking up. And I remember thinking, oh, already? Look at my watch. It's only been two hours. Okay. And so, you know, you spring up. You're like, yeah, I'm a dad now. I got, we got to do this. Like, we're in this. So, you know, we, he, he's crying. He's screaming. And Meg's kind of like, you know, still half out of it from, from delivering a child into the world. And so, you know, we're kind of tag teaming this thing. And we get him, get him some milk and, and get him settled. And then we lay him back down like 30 minutes later. And he's like stirring. And he's doing all this stuff. And it's like, I want to go back to bed so bad. But this is awesome. And so then we finally get him back to bed. And it's like 2.30 by this time. And so I laid down, I remember, like, sitting back going, ah. an hour later, he's back up. And I remember thinking, I'm a dead man. I'm not going to make it. Like, there is no way I can possibly do this for the rest of my life. I had, like, this little anxiety attack of, I'm on no sleep. I can't sleep. How am I going to provide for this thing? Am I going to keep it alive? Am I going to, I have all these thoughts racing through my head, and I'm like, what have we done? Okay, this is scary. This is intense. And so, you know, eventually we kind of get a little bit more sleep and, you know, the, the sunshine comes up and then my parents come to visit and it's great. But let me tell you, the next week of my life was something very interesting, okay? Because if you have a newborn, if you've been through this newborn stage, you know what I'm talking about. There is a point where you go, am I actually going to survive this thing? Am I actually going to make it? Because there was a time in which I remember looking at Meg, and she's like laughing, and she's going, <laughs> like she like, is like having a literal breakdown in the moment because like she's laughing at something, but she's also bawling her eyes out, and I don't know what to do. I'm like, are you happy? Are you having a mental breakdown? What's my response right here? Because I think what had happened is she had tried to like put her shirt on and it was like inside out and backwards, but she didn't realize because she was so sleep deprived. And it was one of those things I'm going, how in the world are we going to do this? Because when you're at the brink of exhaustion, you kind of get like into survival mode. Same kind of thing happened to me. If you know uh, a little bit about me, I'm a runner. I love to run. So two years ago, I was doing a marathon training. It was my long run day. So I had a 14 mile run. And I decided it'd be a really good idea to not bring water on this run. So I am running through Sartell, where I'm from, 
And so I'm about mile seven, and it's early in the morning. I'm like, oh, I'm feeling good about this. By mile eight, I was ready to pass out because I had no water. So when you get to that point, you get a little desperate. So I found a gas station. Didn't have my wallet on me. Great. So I went to the bathroom. It still disgusts me to this day. I went to the bathroom of a gas station, a public gas station, where I did the whole cupping of the thing underneath. Still lie to tell the tale. Don't know if I got tetanus in that moment, but when you get that exhausted and that tired, it really tells a lot about what you are willing to do. John chapter 4. Jesus is with his disciples going through a town called Samaria. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now, when we read the Bible, it's written in two different languages and then translated into English. So when they originally wrote this text, it's actually in Greek. And so the problem with English is that it doesn't always capture the full emotion and the full weight of what's being penned in Greek. And so when it says tired as he was, the actual Greek is telling, you, telling us that Jesus was truly exhausted, the type of weary that he can barely stand, he can barely walk. He was completely exhausted. So he's sitting here by this well in this town called Samaria, And what you have to know is he says he had to go through Samaria. Now, we're going to talk in a little bit about Samaria is actually not a super popular place. It's not a super welcoming place. In fact, it was actually a place that a lot of Jews would try to avoid. When they're trying to go from point A to point B, they have to go through Samaria. But a lot of Jews, who Jesus was, actually, instead of going on this straight line, would go around Samaria, even though it was longer. And here's why. It says this in verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Samaria was a place that Jewish people avoided like the plague, and here's why. Because there's a long history of Samaria, but basically what it was is it was people who were primarily half Jew and half Gentile. So instead of being pure Jewish and and, and all this different stuff, which the Jewish people in this time, it was very important to be a purebred, if you will, to have a Jewish mother and a Jewish father. So when they have half and half, there's kind of like mixed spiritual ideas, there's mixed societal norms, there's all this different stuff that happened. And so Samaria essentially was like a dirty, gross, cursed place that Jewish people ought to avoid. Yet we see Jesus is here in Samaria, exhausted by himself at a well resting while his disciples go into town. And here he is, this woman comes up all by herself and says, and Jesus asks her, can you get me a glass of water? Will you draw from the well and get me something to drink? And it's such a simple question. It is such a simple question. Hey, will you get me a drink of water? It's hot. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Will you just do this one small thing for me? I find it very interesting that some of Jesus' most simple 
questions to you and I are some of the hardest ones to answer. A lot of times what he asks us to do is so simple in nature, but so hard to do in execution. Things like, hey, will you forgive that person? Forgiveness is difficult. The idea of forgiving yes or no seems simple, but when you get into the nitty-gritty of what that person did to you, the betrayal they had to you, the thing they did to your family, the thing that messed up everything in your life, it's so much more difficult than a yes or no. Yes, Jesus, I want to forgive that person, but at the same time, you have no idea what they did. They have no idea. I can't possibly them because of what they did to me. I can never forget what happened. Will you forgive them? Simple question, different, difficult response. Will you trust me is another one. Will you trust me? It's so easy to say, yes, Jesus, I will trust you when things are going really well, when things are easy. Yes, I'll trust you with my life. But when things get difficult, when things get tricky, when things seem a little more ambiguous or ominous, it's harder to say, yes, I will trust you. Maybe you're stepping into a new career. Maybe you're stepping into a new life path. Maybe you're taking on a new dynamic with your family. And it was one thing before, but now it's an entirely different thing. And God's going, hey, will you trust me with this? Will you trust me with the outcome of this? I know you can't see the other side. I know you can't necessarily know how it's all going to fit together. But do you trust me to get it all back together? Easy question. Difficult response. Will you lay that down? Will you lay that down? There's one thing in your life, there's one thing that you're just holding on to, white knuckling, saying, I'm not going to let go of this. And we're maybe going, God, I've given you this. I'm coming to church. I'm doing this. I'm trying to be a better person. X, Y, Z. I'm doing all of this stuff. God, I can't possibly let go of this. Thing. This is the one thing I can't let go. And God's saying, will you trust me? Will you lay it down? Easy question, difficult response. Will you follow? Will you love? Will you let go? Will you sit and be with me? Easy question, difficult response. And the same thing happened to the woman at the well. Jesus is exhausted. He is at the brink of just truly passing out. He is so tired because he's been walking all over the place. He's been with people. He's been healing people. He's been being there for everybody else. He's emotionally physically, spiritually exhausted, hanging out by this well, and this woman comes up, and all he asks for is a drink of water. And there's no one else around them. There's nothing else going on. And what she objects to this simple question is, but you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. You're a man, and I'm a woman. How in the world can you ask me for a drink? Because what's happening here is Jews were not supposed to engage with Samaritans. Because again, they're cursed, they're dirty, they're, they're, they're kind of ostracized. On top of the fact that Jesus was a man, a rabbi, a teacher, like a spiritual teacher, which means in that, in that day and age, you're not supposed to engage with a woman if you're a rabbi. Because it's just, there's just this weird religious law, I'm not getting into the ins and outs of it, but it was all these things of where Jesus shouldn't interact with her And then the icing on the cake, what we find out in verses 16 through 20, we find out this woman had lived a very frivolous lifestyle. John chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. 
fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Jesus just read her mail. See, I'm going to get a little Bible nerdy with you guys for a second this morning. If you're cool with that, are you cool with that? Yes, I love it. Cool. Here's why I'm going to get Bible nerdy with you. He came at noon. For a, lot of, for a lot of us, that may seem like a meaningless detail, like why they put that in there. But here's what's so important to realize. Nobody came at noon. Why? Because they're in Israel. It's hot. It's dry. It's, I darn say, God forsaken at noon, okay? It's intense. It's super, super hot. And so this woman is coming for water at noon. Why? Because she's, just, she's ashamed. She's had five different husbands. And the guy she's with right now is not her husband. And in this day and age, if you are divorced, if you've had issues with marriage and things, you are like shamed, you're guilt-ridden, you're condemned. It's not a very welcoming and good culture at the time. And so this woman is avoiding the crowds. She's avoiding the people. She's avoiding being confronted by people because she knows as soon as she walks up to the well, just to get her water and just to go home, She knows she's going to be full of shame. She's going to be guilt-tripped. She's going to be made to feel bad about what is going on in her life. So to avoid it, she comes at noon. She comes and nobody else is around because she doesn't want to have to deal with the toil and the hardship that comes with being a woman who's got some stuff in her life. She was being oppressed. She was being overlooked. She was being treated poorly based upon her circumstance. And a lot of times in our day and age now, the same thing happens. Happens in churches, happens in businesses, happens around the world. For some of us, being ostracized might mean you want to do your faith in your workplace. You want to stand up for your faith and tell people about who you love, and, and, and about your church experience, but you're being silenced. Like you can't talk about that here. I don't want to talk about it. You're stupid for believing that. That could be your oppression. For others, oppression might look like, hey, um, we have to meet underground. We have to meet in an abandoned place to have our church service because if we're found out that we're having a church service, we'll be executed on the spot. Oppression has different severities, different degrees. For some of us, Oppression looks like having to go through some financial hardship. I'm going through a tough thing right now. I'm going through a tough situation, a tough circumstance where bills are tight. Not sure I'm going to pay this off. Collection agencies are on my back and I can't figure my way out of this. I'm trying to do my best. For some of us, that's the oppression. And yet for some others, oppression looks like um, I can't even have drinkable, clean water has different severities, different things that are going on, and one is not better than the other. But when I look at this woman at the well, when I look at this woman and this interaction between Jesus and this woman back and forth, I see something that I think really sticks out and sticks to a lot of us. And I put myself in the shoes of the woman at the time. I have to imagine she steps up to the well thinking that this is just another day, another situation in which she's just going to grab her jug, go up by herself, get her water, and go home. So she doesn't have to deal with the stuff that's going on in her life. Yet when I, I can imagine when she's starting to walk up to the well, 
She sees this one man, a rabbi man, sitting there by the well by himself. And she knows she's mentally rehearsing and preparing herself for what's about to happen. Because a rabbi man surely is going to make her feel bad. He's going to make her feel like she's the scum of the earth. I can imagine the internal dialogue this woman has as she's walking up going, what she fears the most, what she prepares and why she lives her life a certain way is about to become reality as she walks up to this well. I can't imagine the weight that she feels in this moment as she's doing this. So she walks up slowly, hesitant, reluctantly, because she's got to get the water, but she at the same time probably is contemplating, do I really want to go through this rigmarole right now? Because surely a rabbi is going to let me know all the stuff that's wrong with this right now. Yet here Jesus is, and he asks her for Ask her a favor. Will you get me some water? What a change. What a change. It might seem so insignificant, like, okay, cool, he asked her for water. But what Jesus is doing in this moment is he's showing her, I see you. Or another, another rabbi might either confront her or ignore her entirely. And instead, this rabbi is saying, hey, will you do something for me? Will you get me something? Will you help me. He's asking her a favor because he sees value in her. He sees something that she can do for him. The reason we have this series called Go, the reason we have been doing this sermon series here at the bridge called Go is because I believe the woman at the well encapsulates the heart of Jesus better than any other story. Jesus sees a woman who's overlooked. He sees a woman who is down on her luck. He sees a woman who has been treated poorly, has been, has been going through all the nastiness of life by herself. And he's tired. He's exhausted. He's got nothing left in the tank. Yet he takes this moment to get to the heart of this woman. He takes this moment to say, I see you. I believe in you. I have value in you. Even though He's exhausted, even though things are going crazy in his life, even though he's got other things he can and should be doing. Jesus takes a moment to say, I see you. I see you. I believe in you. If you haven't been with us up until this point, we have been in the sermon series called Go, which is all about how we as believers, we as Christians are supposed to go into the world and share this same love of God that I have just talked about but there's a couple ways to do it. The first, we got to talk about how we can physically go. We can go to these places and do our thing. But last week, Pastor Riley, if you don't know Pastor Riley, he's our youth pastor. Didn't he do fantastic last Sunday if you were here? For real. Pastor Riley is our youth pastor. He does some awesome things with our youth. Um, it's crazy in here, I got to tell you. Um, I'm crazy, all right? I'm loud. I'm high energy. I'm all this different stuff. But on Wednesday, when I was in here for the first time and like after a month and a half, I was like, this is like next level crazy. This is like, like the old man in me. And some of you are like, oh yeah, old man, okay. I'm 27, okay, give me the credit. I've had two kids and I feel like I'm 47 sometimes with those two. I walked in, I'm like, it's deafening in here. Like my, my ears are loud and it was crazy and there's kids bouncing off the walls. It was awesome. It was super, super cool. But what I've loved celebrating about our youth, what I've loved seeing as he shared his heart for missions and he shared this heart about going, the thing that we've talked about is there's so many different ways to go and to give. 
What happened in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well, I believe, is continuing to happen time and time and time again in our world. Maybe not exactly, maybe there's not the exact well, and Jesus is not perfectly in person, but I believe there are people in this world to this date happening right now where there are people who are walking through the mundane parts of their life. They're walking through what they're doing on a normal basis, and all of a sudden God intervenes and God gets to the whole of their life and moves in their life right here and right now. I believe there are people in Tanzania as we speak right now that for so long have been living without clean water. They've been living without the good, sustainable water that they need. The water they've been drinking is full of parasites, full of feces, full of all this different stuff. But as they have clean water, they have this moment where they realize God hears them, God sees them, God understands them. I believe there are people in the villages of Nepal who are having this moment where they've been kicked out of their villages because the militia are coming in and doing unspeakable things to the people who don't comply, who are walking through everyday life, and all of a sudden they have an encounter with someone who knows Jesus, who gives them safety and food, and all of a sudden they realize, maybe God does love me and see me, a God who intervenes in my situation right now. Communities of Ecuador, of over 100,000 people in this one community who have two churches in that community. Each of those churches have less than 50 people in them because the people haven't necessarily encountered a God that we hear in John chapter 4 who sees them, who understands them, who cares about them and wants to speak through them. John chapter 4 encapsulates the heart of Jesus because he was exhausted, he was entrenched, but he saw the value in getting a hold of one person. It's amazing how sometimes we get kind of caught up in what's happening right in front of us that we lose track of what's happening around us. For those of you who are in the woods this last couple of weekends, you'll appreciate this story. Uh, I was 13 years old, and my dad was showing me proper gun safety. He was kind of showing me how to, how to shoot a rifle, all this different stuff. So he had a 22 rifle that he was showing me on because it's least recoil, least dangerous, which is probably good with a 13-year-old wielding a gun. And so we were shooting targets at an extended range, but it was also cold outside. So he thought, you know what? I'm going to warm up my truck. We'll roll down the window. We got our targets here, a nice backdrop. Nothing bad's going to go down. And so uh, we're going to just heat up the truck, and uh, you can just put your barrel on the outside of the window and shoot at the target, and life will be good. So we're doing this. I'm, as a 13-year-old who's got all the answers, after like the fifth shot, I'm like, oh, yeah, I got this. I got this dialed down. Like, this is, this is easy. No, no problem. So we're talking about it. And so I got one more target left. And with how the truck is sitting here, the target is kind of off over here at a 45-degree angle. So I put my rifle on the thing, and I look over at my scope, and I'm looking to the last target. Now, what you don't see is the fact that the barrel of my rifle is on the edge of the side view mirror of my dad's nice truck. The scope is above the mirror, right? And so here I am looking at this target, and I'm going, I got it. And dad goes, watch the mirror, watch the mirror. I was like, okay, I don't see the mirror. Watch the mirror. Watch the mirror. Shattered the mirror, okay? Shattered it. 
Like, I, fortunately, I got the edge of the, the plastic part, so it wasn't like a, a major dangerous thing. And parents, you'll appreciate this. I look to my dad, and he goes, Sorry, Dad. I know. I know. He had nothing more to say because he literally had told me, watch the mirror, watch the mirror, watch the mirror. And, but the problem is I couldn't see it, right? I couldn't see the mirror in my scope. In my scope, all I could see was this one thing. And I, I was like, oh, I got this. I'm going to impress my dad. It's going to be good. And instead, he's got an insurance claim on his hands. But the thing I think, when I, when I look at this story, and I was looking at this message, I think so many times in my life personally, I've been like that metaphorically, where I get so scoped in on my stuff, my things, that I forget that there's so much else around me that I'm not in awareness of. I get so fixated on the fact that I've got to provide for my family. I've got to be there for my family. I've got to get my problems ironed out. I've got to do all this stuff X, Y, Z to make sure my little circle of life is all in alignment. When in reality, there is so much more outside of my scope that God's doing in the world. That God is moving and shaking and doing. And I love how after this whole situation with the woman at the well is going down, I love looking at what the disciples did. This is like my favorite part of the story. John chapter 4, verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? I can just literally imagine these 12 dudes who are, you know, carrying food back. Like, oh yeah, this is awesome. I love following Jesus around. And they get to the to the well, and they see Jesus talking to this woman, which is a no-no, right? And then I'm going, so who's going to ask? You know, like, like who's going to ask him why this is going on? And I can just imagine who's going to draw the short straw, all this different stuff. But they don't say anything because they're like, he's Jesus, we'll let him do what he wants. Here is the coolest part of the story. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of town and made their way toward him. I have read this story so many times in my life. I have read John chapter 4 probably more times than I can even think about. But this week, as I'm preparing this message, there's kind of something I just jumped off the page at me, something I've never read before. She left her water. She left her water jar. The thing that she brought and the thing that she came for, she left at the wayside to run back to her town. Maybe it's just me, but this happens to me all the time. Whenever I get really excited, I kind of lose track of what it's like to be a responsible adult. There have been times there's something exciting going on that I need to rush out of my house at. And so I rush out, I grab my phone, I grab my keys, I jump in my truck, I pull back, I fly out. I get about five minutes down the road and I do the triple pat down. Keys, phone, wallet, no wallet. This happens to me more times than I care. Uh, neighbors probably think we have some kind of exchange happening in our neighborhood because I'll come flying around the corner at Mach 10 and my wife is standing at the end of the driveway like this. And I more or less roll the window down and snag it and then just peel off of my truck. It happens so often. 
because I just get excited and I just forget to get what I need. This woman needs water. It's why she came to the well. Yet we see her at the end of the story. She leaves the water right there at the well and takes off in a sprint to go tell her community what's happening because she's so excited about what just happened. She's so enthusiastic that, you know what? I just met Jesus. He's the real deal. He's the Messiah. He knows everything about me. He's going to be there for me. This is all, all the stuff that I've been feeling, the guilt, the shame, all the stuff for the last few years I've been carrying on my shoulders. It's all gone because I met Jesus. She was so excited that the thing she needed the most in that moment, water, was just left behind. A supernatural encounter with Jesus will transcend all other natural things that we need. There have been times in youth ministry, times as a pastor, where I've been talking with somebody, and it's just a quick interaction. They're on their way to do something else. They're on their way to get, they're on their way out the door, and they say, hey, can I talk to you? And we talk, and we pray, and they experience Jesus in a profound way. And all of a sudden, what they had to get to could wait. Because what was happening right here was so critical and so important. The last part of the story goes like this. John chapter 4, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, him being Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. I love this story because this woman was a woman that was overlooked. This is a woman that was hiding for her life. This is a woman who was cast aside, looked over, tossed. Yet we find that when she experiences Jesus in a whole new way and she runs to her neighbors, her neighbors come running back. It was because of her testimony, her saying, guys, 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 I met Jesus. He told me everything I did, all of my stuff, all of my secrets, all of the stuff I've been hiding from everybody else. He told me it all. He's the real deal. You've got to come for yourself. You've got to check it out. And they come running. And when they experience Jesus for themselves, they say it was no longer because of what you told us, it's because of what we've experienced. It only takes one. The reason that we're in this series called Go, the reason I'm so passionate about looking outside of the walls of the bridge, the reason I'm so passionate about reaching our community, reaching our state, reaching our world, is because it only takes one to change the landscape of a community. It only takes one. Had this well interaction not happened, had Jesus said, you know what? I'm too tired. I'm too exhausted. I can't talk to you right now. You go talk to somebody else. She would have never experienced who Jesus is. And she would have never ran back to the town she's from. She would have never told her neighbors what's happening. And the neighbors never would have come to experience Jesus. And those neighbors would have never experienced Jesus for real. It only takes one. It only took one for me. I didn't grow up going to church. I didn't grow up in this context. I didn't. 
In fact, I hated this context. It was boring. It was a means to an end. Free brunch. I love to eat. But it only took one. It only took my mom coming to know who Jesus was for real. To get excited about church. To get excited about who Jesus was. To say, Derek, I know you don't like church. I know you don't want to be a part of it. But if you just trust me, this is different. Because I love my mom, and she's my mom, so she didn't tell me what to do anyways, I went with her. And it was awesome. It didn't happen right away. It didn't happen overnight. But I slowly realized that this Jesus they're talking about is the real deal. And a few weeks ago, this is the coolest thing I probably heard this month. I was officiating one of my old high school friend's weddings. And one of, one of my old buddy's parents were there. And we were talking about life and, and that type of thing. And we're kind of catching up. What are you doing? What's going on? I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. And I got the, the world's greatest, hottest wife. It's awesome. We have two sweet kids. She goes, oh, you're a pastor. Yep. She goes, I always knew it was going to happen. Like, okay, tell me more because my plan was to be a dentist. You knew that all day going up through high school. But here's you know what she said to me that I will, will stick with me forever. She goes, after your mom got in trouble and after everything went down with your family and everything went go down, she goes, a few months later, I just saw there was a difference about you. There was just a change. You could see it. There was just a little bit more hope, a little bit more excitement, a little bit more just, she goes, I don't, there was just something different about you. And this is not about me. This is not about anything. But what happened is a few months after that went down, I got to experience Jesus for real. And it changed me from the inside out, and people could notice that. So why am I so passionate about going? Why am I so passionate about missions? Because if we can just do what God calls us to do, it only takes one to change the world. I wouldn't be here on this stage talking to you right now if it wasn't for the pastor who said, I'm going to preach a message that God gave me and it wouldn't have happened if my mom wasn't in the service that day and knew him for real. It only takes one to change the trajectory of our life. If it wasn't for that one, my kids wouldn't grow up knowing about the amazing love of Jesus. They wouldn't grow up having the hope that when we pray at night, Jesus hears us and is with us. They wouldn't have that if it wasn't for the joy of the Lord. That happened to me all those years ago. So if you're new to the bridge, here's, here's what I'm just going to tell you. We're passionate about Jesus here. We're really, really excited. I've talked a lot today about going outside of these walls and doing all these different things, and we're going to continue to do that. But it starts with us in here getting excited and experiencing Jesus for real. It starts with us saying, you know what, God, you're in my life. You're going on. Life is awesome. But it starts with us taking that and going out. So here's what I want to celebrate with you today. Our youth students have got that. They've got that. It's important for us to go. And we can go by giving and all this different stuff. So this Wednesday, we've been working toward a water well. We've been working towards $35,000, which is a crazy amount, to raise so we can have another water well in Tanzania to get clean water. And up until this last Wednesday night, the most a youth group has ever given, ever, in one night, was $8,900, which is a lot of money for kids, okay? Can we just acknowledge that? Can I show you what they did on Wednesday? Because this was amazing. Let's put that picture up, Gavin. 
you students in St. Francis and beyond. Other one. There we are. $22,630.12. It's not about a number. It's not about the Bridge Church. It's not about a fundraiser. It's not about any of that. It's the fact that students, young people ages 13 through 18 are going, I can make a difference. I can make a sacrifice. I can sell stuff. I can shovel driveways. I can mow lawns. I can rake leaves. I can do something so that more interactions like Jesus at the woman or at the well with the woman can happen in other places across the world by doing something tangible. And they blew it out of the water because they're awesome and they're fantastic. It's why we go. It's why we give. It's because there are a lot more women a lot more metaphorical wells that need to know who Jesus is. That woman came in with guilt and shame and condemnation and she left with joy, purpose, and excitement because Jesus saw who she was. Here's my question to all of you this morning as we get you out of here. It's twofold. The first one is, are we willing to go? Because we might not be able to go to Cambodia, to Ecuador, to Tanzania, to all these different places. We might not be able to give a whole lot more than we have right now. But I believe there are people in your world who are a lot like that woman at the well. They're beat down. They're ostracized. No one sees them or loves them. So are we willing to love them like Jesus loves them? Are we willing to do what nobody else is willing to do, which is to show them attention and care. That's the first one. But the second one, as I think a lot of a lot of us, if we're being really honest, we feel sometimes like we're that woman at the well. Life has been a real, real struggle lately. It's been difficult. Stuff with family, stuff with my job, stuff with my own personal work. I feel dry. I feel exhausted. I feel like. I'm not doing enough, or I got all this stuff in my life I can't shake, and we feel stuck. I believe there are people in this room that feel like maybe I'm even too far gone for God to reach me right now. Verse 4 says he had to go through Samaria. I don't think that had was because it was the shortest distance. I think he had to go through Samaria because he knew there would be a woman at the well tomorrow who needed him. Jesus is chasing you down. Jesus cares about what's going on in your life. Jesus wants to be a part of your life. doesn't matter if you're running away from him. doesn't matter if you've got stuff in your life that you're battling with, sin, struggles, things you're not proud of. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, as exhausted, as tired, as just torn apart he was, Jesus made the time to get a hold of this woman. And he wants to do the same for you. The question is, will you open your heart to have that question. Will you open your heart to say, God, I'm here. Whatever you want to do, I trust you. There's power and liberation that. Will you pray with me this morning as I get you out of here? Jesus, we're never too far gone. 
There's never too much going on in our life that you can't be there for us, you can't deliver us, you can't walk us through. So today, God, I just pray as we continue to go, as we go into St. Francis, as we go into Minnesota, as we reach into villages of Tanzania with the sacrificial gifts of so many, God, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for what you're doing in this community and beyond. But God, ultimately, I thank you that the love that you have for us changes us. God, that like the woman at the well, sometimes we feel like we have to hide from you and the reality is we don't because you know what's going on in our life already. You just want to be a part of it. You want to carry us through, deliver us, make us whole again. So God, today, wherever we're at, whatever you're stirring in our heart, would we say yes to you in a whole new way. We love you, God, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.